Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Midweek Motorsport Series 15, Episode 8, and we're live from Frapston. At least I am. Up in London is our executive producer, Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. And on a packed show tonight, Tim? Uh, we have all the usual features. Excellent. We have uh, some of our usual guests. We have a big interview with Philip Hansen. Correct. I believe. Uh, yep. We'll be talking about some things that happened last weekend. Uh, we're going to talk about something very special that's happening later on and something that's going to happen tomorrow as well. Uh, so, very packed show um, and lots of people to talk to. Uh, and first of all, as oh, and we've got news of a new show as well. Exclusive news of... Well, that's what I was talking about later today. Right, okay, fantastic. Uh, hello to Chris Tipper, uh, EFA for him this week. Uh, he says, I'm concerned about the WAC and what happens uh, with the uh, with the top class. Uh, and Tim, the listeners aren't hearing us. Apparently they are now. The oh, they are now. Do we need to start again? No. <laughs> All right, if you want to start again, we can. No, okay. That's fine. Uh, no F- AFAs for Brody tonight. Sheltering by the stove, easing racing chocks, crash helmets. No rain delays here. Uh, Jonathan Ezo, another busy work day here on Long Island. Looking forward to the podcast. Quite a week for the news. Have a good one. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for supporting the podcast. EFAs tonight for Stephen Fielding. Uh, tomorrow, uh, BHS EMS MSP. Ooh, right, that's uh, Bir- uh, Birmingham, Amsterdam. MSP is Minneapolis St. Paul. For it is. I've in- been there. International for some cold secret squirrel testing for everyone's favourite ba- Coventry-based OEM. Peugeot. No, they're gone now. Uh, Stephen Fielding says, can we get the podcast up by 6 o'clock tomorrow morning? He uh, says that as well. Which time zone? Uh, UK. Well, that's fine, yeah. If he's talking about Australia, then uh, we've missed that boat. Right. Eric Offerdahl says, EFA's tonight is working in late. The shift will catch up. With the podcast, hello to Phil, that's safe Phil, uh, he says uh, he's listening tonight, right turn lover, is uh, enjoying an evening with his mum tonight, excellent, well done, doing his filial duty, but we'll be listening, uh, safe Phil's on MP3 delay again later, uh, yes, Dave England has EFS, hang on, there's more people EFAing tonight than not EFAing, uh, probably do the podcast during my morning run, by which time... I will have signed up for November's Silverstone Half Marathon. Uh, oh, Dave, David Monks. Now, that does look like the same Euro Tunnel carriage that I was on earlier today. They says, all look the same. He says, Euro Tunnel uh, should pop me out in the UK just in time. My wife and kids think I'm joking. We'll be listening to Midweek Motorsport for the next leg of the drive from Munich. They're in Munich. 
They've infantry. Hello to family monks this evening. If you've just uh, got back into the UK, M20 is in a terrible condition, and there's horrible, horrible roadworks just up from Maidstone. Um, I cut across. Uh, they're making a smart motorway. No, they're going to get rid of smart motorways. Thank goodness. No, this, this, this is one that they're still constructing. Oh, I cut across to the M2. Uh, I went up the back of Chatham and went up the M2 this morning because the roadworks were horrid. Uh, ready to is listen that's li- a euphemism for something? No. Back of Chatham. Leave it. Uh, Kevin Payne's listening live again tonight. Uh, um, writer Lover says, Mum says hi back. I didn't realise your mum was listening as well, RTL. Excellent stuff. Hello. Hello, Mum, RTL. Racing Chalk says, did you save the best till last or have you got the undesirable one? There's no undesirable Racing Chocks. Brilliant idea, by the way, if you haven't seen them. Little chocolates in the shape of racing helmets. They are brilliant. Rob Janet is listening live for the first time for a few weeks and looking forward to the show. Uh, Tom Firth uh, listening tonight. Dam- Daniel Summersgill listening live tonight. Why does the FIAWEC always seem to take one step forward and two steps back? As a sports car fan, it's frustrating. Can't see Toyota bringing it to Silverstone. We'll talk about that later on. Chris Suku at home. Uh, but needing to send EFAs, he's got an early start for a video conference at 4 in the morning. Moni, tuned in from the Cube after a long lunch break walk on the beach. Happy to hear that Newman and Fine has been released from hospital. We'll talk about that later on with Shea. Uh, Tom Firth says he's missing MWN, other engagements, um, and wants to know all about LMDH, Hypercar, etc. Uh, Motor Racing UK listening, who took some great photographs at Warden Law at the weekend. We'll have a little chat about grassroots motorsport uh, a little bit later on as well. Stephen Gardner, apologies for attendance on vacation this week. Listening live instead of the podcast, working on a model railway project and a 124 Ford GTLM model, the 2016 Le Mans winner. Oh, nice. Very good. Daniel Leslip listening live tonight. Uh, Shea Adam listening live. Well, that's good because she's on the show. Uh, Jill Zotibridge says he love what the llama is having. Patrick Drone listening live. Ian Rogers in Addis Ababa. Fantastic, Ian. That oh, is- yes. I read all about Ian because he was travelling there from somewhere else. Right. Uh, also, or maybe he was going to, from Addis Ababa to Nairobi, maybe. Oh, fant- fantastic. Um, I, I saw a tweet earlier in the week that uh, he thought he was going to be uh, missing the show, but uh, clearly not. Excellent stuff. Well done, Ian. Neil Gardner's listening in this evening. David Faulkner made it to work on the trusty little bike. No note required. Alan Prosser in tonight. Uh, Preston Buckley in tonight. Andrew Muggeridge live. This is all coming in on Aspect Entertainment. Sarah Rigby. Looking forward to another packed show. We've got a fab weekend of racing. Looking forward to Sad with the EMR Racing News. That was from Sarah Rigby, Tim. It was. Emma Crawley's the one that I was oh, uh, yes. Sorry, wanting yes. you to mention. Ah, yes. Because Emma Crawley yeah. uh, has turned up on uh, another media organisation. Has she? Yeah. How dare she? The BBC, nonetheless. Excellent. Well done, her. Talk, uh, talking about uh, uh, the Daily Telegraph. Oh, well done to her. James Wadham, Brody. She might not know about it. They've just uh, published one of her tweets on their website. All right. Uh, James Wadham, Brody, KMFDT, uh, listening in. And Oliver Giles, Olivier Sheely. Apologies for absence. He's uh, completing his final 
case studies for a practical assessment this weekend, but they'll be catching up. And finally, uh, hello to Austin Hilliard Racing, tuned in live tonight. Let's have the top story. Play the jingle, team. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And for tonight's top story, we're yes, going... We're, we're not going to do... Uh, well, I mean, it is a motorsport story. It, but, but it is. It's but, massive. But it's, it's also a radio story. Right. A podcast story. Is it? Yes. Did right. you know that only four of the top 20 podcasts in Australia are Australian? Okay. Well, we're going to try and do something about that and make it five out of the top 20. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. Because... After us tonight, if you've been looking at the schedule on the front page of RadioLeron.com, you'll notice there's something called TBC. And we are now going to go live to Porsche Hospitality in Adelaide uh, to find out what that (laughs) TBC is. Good evening to Richard Creel, who is enjoying uh, a double shot flat white courtesy of Porsche Cars Australia getting ready for the Adelaide 500 uh, this weekend. The opening race of the of the uh, of the championship for Virgin Australia Supercars. Creelsy, how are you, fellow? Good morning. Hello, mate. How good technology that I can be standing about 150 metres from the centre chicane, one of the more famous bits of road in Aussie motorsport. To my left, the Adelaide Hills are awash with colour as the sun starts to poke its way up and. Uh, about 40,000 grandstand seats will be full a bit later on for day one of the Adelaide 500. Uh, what, what is it over there? Minus, minus 17, is it? Freezing cold? Lovely morning here, by the way. I yes. just like to, oh, just sorry. Like to point we out the... seem to have lost Creelsy there all of a sudden. Uh, what a uh, shit. Uh, um, let... uh, it's good, isn't it? <clears throat> two massive stories um, to, to talk about here. Um, the first is what follows after... And it's not actually the first. It's about Holden disappearing mm. from... Australia. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate a bit here, Creelsy. Um, Holden stopped building cars, what, over a year ago now in Australia, part of GM. 2017. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, Ford have stopped building cars in Australia as well. So you've got no, we've been talking, we've talked about this for a while, you've got no uh, indigenous auto manufacturers now. The big problem for Holden as part, still a part of GM, is that the cars that most of their vehicles are based on were built by Opel and Vauxhall, which was has been sold off to to PSA, to Peugeot. So wasn't this sort of inevitable? Well, yeah, you could certainly say that. On the other hand, Holden, when they stop producing cars, they're following in the wake of Ford, Toyota, and before that, uh, Mitsubishi Motors Australia as well. Um, they became a full-on importer of vehicles. And yes, the the PSA acquisition of, of Opel and Vauxhall certainly played a role in that. And, and several cars, the Barina, the Astra, um, even the Commodore were the new Commodore was sourced from there. But um, the, the Holden range was imported from all parts of the world. A lot of cars were made in Asia and then some in the States that were either converted to right-hand drive or built as um, the, the, the difference is though, John, is that, is that Ford since shutting down manufacturing has gone from strength to strength on the base of their product. Um, and they've got a global right-hand drive market. They've got a strong lineup and, and a lineup here that Australians want to buy. And, and the shift in Australian new car sales has been towards the SUV, the pickup, the ute, the highest selling car in Australia for the last five years is the Toyota Hilux. Mm-hmm. The second highest is now the Ford Ranger. 
and I think the fourth highest is the Mazda BT50, all two by two or two by four, four by four, big SUV pickup style trucks, utes, whatever you want to call them. So Holden, I think on GM in particular, missed the boat on product when they stopped making local cars. Um, and that didn't help the cause. And then General Motors, once again, and we've seen this in the past with with brands like Pontiac, with yep. Oldsmobile, with yep. Hummer, with Saturn. It, it seems like once they lose the impetus of making these cars, they don't have a direction. They're a bit rudderless. And that that was the vibe from what, mm-hmm. what happened when Holden, Holden stopped making cars here. And they, they didn't have a product to suit the market. And the brand's gone, I think three or four years earlier than we thought it would be. Yes. That, and that's probably why this has come as a bigger shock, that it's that it's ended sooner than we thought. Now, that's going to have a knock-on effect to uh, Virgin Australia uh, supercars. I- I'm not going to talk about that with you because the second announcement is that we're delighted to say that RS1 is the new home for On The Grid. And after the program tonight, uh, um, you're going to be previewing this weekend's action and talking extensively about the Holden situation and how that relates to Australian motorsport. Tell us a little bit about On The Grid. Yeah, so this is we're very, very excited about this. So On The Grid is actually a product that's been on air in Australia for the better part of 10 years in various different forms on various different radio stations two years ago it went digital Um, my little side project's a website called the race talk and it became part of that 12 months ago Um, and then I I believe it was over a refreshing beverage at the vine and tap at Bathurst uh, just a few weeks ago we had a conversation and um, we're delighted to have on the grid join the RSL network from tonight onwards so on the grid is a more or less hour-long in-depth look into Australian motorsport in particular, but some of the broader issues that represent it as well. It's a mixture of, much like Midweek Motorsport, it's a mixture of guests, some uh, interesting people that we get on the show to talk to, the star of the week, who performed well the last week, who didn't perform well Mm. the last week. But we also try and tackle some of the issues. Um, And between the group of us, there's a, a cohort of four regular panelists that join us I think there's something like 200 years of motor racing experience between it. Um, Dale Rogers, who's on the show tonight, was uh, one of Australia's best motorsport photographers in the 70s and 80s. Um, He's now a journalist and a marketing guru, so he's one of our key contributors. The show is hosted by Tony Shebeki, and in the intro, you'll you'll hear Tony's other gig. It's pretty cool. Um, He works at Australia's most famous cricket stadium, uh, which is pretty good, so you'll hear about that. And Mark Walker, who's our gun photographer, which might not sound great for a podcast, but Mark's got a laconic Queensland acerbic point of view on the sport and um, puts his two bob in. So we try and tackle some of the issues. We try and break it down to understand it, not just for an Aussie audience. We've always tried to aim for people that may not be familiar with supercars or with the local motorsport scene. So... Yeah, we're really excited. I'm, I'm pretty stoked that we've actually bumped the Aston Martin news off the top spot on the show, to be brutally honest with you. That's a big feather in our cap before we've even started, JH. No, indeed. So tonight then, listener, stay tuned after the show tonight on the grid. Uh, it's normal time. It's a weekly show. It's normal time will be Thursday at 9 o'clock here in the UK. And in fact, we'll repeat tonight's show tomorrow night. And after that, you'll be able to hear... Our run with the Porsche Taycan uh, around Daytona International Speedway. Diana Binks and and I had a little play with that at Daytona recently. So Thursday at 9 o'clock is its normal time in the UK. And that's going to be weekly from now on. Tonight, you get a sneak preview of the first 
sure. And it's a big one, Krillzy, because obviously mm. it is effectively, with due respect to the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours and what has gone before, in terms of the greater public, it is the start of the Australian motorsports season this weekend yep. with Virgin Australia Supercars. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, the 12-hour is my favourite event. But this event for me, and I'm, I'm standing not far from pit straight of the Adelaide 500. This is a track that was, when I was one, the first Australian Grand Prix was here. So this is literally, for me, the genesis of my motorsport journey being here in Adelaide, in my hometown, for this amazing event. And, you know, this is an event that attracts 270,000 people over four days. There'll be 90,000 here on Sunday to see the supercars kick off their season. So, yeah, it's it's massive. This is a huge way to start the year, and, and it's it feels like it's been made even more important with the news of the week. And and especially, this is where Holden was made. Yes. 25 minutes from where Good I point. am right now and, and 35 minutes from my home, Holden were here. And, and 10 years ago, Holden employed 3,500 people in this town. Mm-hmm. And it, it was this is Holden's genesis. It started here 160-odd years ago. So... This, this is, if there ever is, a Holden town. This town bleeds red, and it's a very, very significant part of the history of Adelaide and part of the reason Adelaide is what it is now, not just as an event but as a city. So it, it's a hugely important weekend, in my eyes, for, for the sport, for the broader motoring public in this part of the world as well and, and their opportunity to say goodbye So what's a pretty significant part of Australian culture here. So, yeah, we tackle that. Um, The other, I'll just let you know, and and for those that don't hear it, we like a bit of banter as well. So the show, in in some respects, is quite similar to to (laughs) MWM, and we're we're quite proud about that. One of our favourite segments, John, and I know you'll like this, is that before each supercar round, we we like to give our tips of the best places to go. So we travel a lot. We know the best restaurants. We know the good pubs. We know where to go. But we also drop a bit of a hint as to where we'll be on one night – and if you come up and say you listen to the show, we'll buy you a beer. I can't think of anything more Australian. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, yeah, we, we launched it at the Gold Coast last year and had exactly two people come up, which was exactly two people more than we expected would come up. So we bought them a beer and we had a wonderful chat about motor racing. So keep your eyes and ears out for that, folks. And uh, if you are in Australia uh, or if we go overseas and do on the grid from an international event, uh, let us know and we'll, uh, we'll buy you a beer if you listen to it. You've so there a, you go. You've got a standing invitation to do on the grid anytime you want from here. Uh, either, oh, I either as an insert or live live. So that's on the grid tonight. Sneak preview straight after uh, Midweek Motorsport. It's regular slot, 9 o'clock Thursday evening. And if you tune in tomorrow, there's a Billy bonus with Diana Binks and I uh, giving the new Porsche Taycan the run around Daytona International Speedway. It really should have been Hurley Haywood driving that car. He was busy. I was the next oldest person who had an FIA licence. I think that's how I got the drive. Krillzy, have a fantastic weekend, mate. I'm very, very envious of what you're going to be doing uh, this this weekend in particular because that is one of the events that I want to go to. Johnny had a ball there when he... JP had a ball there when he went uh, in a few years' time. And in the next couple of weeks, once the dust has settled, maybe... And once you've taken the temperature, maybe we can have a, a sit down and a chat here on Midweek Motorsport or indeed on the grid and chat about what we think might happen as far as supercars is concerned. Because it's bad to lose Holden, but would Camaro work or Corvette work? Corvette versus Mustang doesn't sound the worst thing in the world for Virgin Australia supercars. 
Just no, see. I agree with you, and and we dive into this in the show later on. But excellent, I think Camaro's Camaro's more likely, and there there are some other brands sniffing around. But yeah, the model needs to change. It's it's a big period for the sport. We we could get you on on the grid. Would that break the internet somehow and create some kind of weird temporal vortex? If you were on that show, as I don't I don't know how that works, but that would be that would be interesting. It's uh, like that film Inception where there's just different layers of things going on. We could do that. We could do that. Krilsey, get back like to your it. breakfast. Say hi to the folks at Porsche for us, particularly Jordo as well, and, and uh, give him a big manly hug and say thank you for me for the Cayenne Cooper because I thoroughly enjoyed that uh, when we were at the Liquid Molly. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. Anytime. Richard Creel joining us live, live. And I know a few of you have been asking uh, about how these things work, but that was live, live, as in exactly as per... Uh, down in Adelaide. Well, and it's 6.49am and Porsche Hospitality is open for breakfast. Of course it is. Cool. Absolutely cool. Uh, uh, I think it was... Uh, if there's anything yeah, like is. Porsche Hospitality anywhere in Europe, scramble eggs to die for. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So How on do the... they do that in a tent, basically? Uh, you need to ask the responsible adult and me about that because we spent part of our working lives doing that sort of thing in the middle of Welsh forests and... Um, race circuits in the middle of nowhere on the grid then tonight uh, after the show it's regular time will be nine o'clock thursdays it's a weekly show make sure you tune in and keep an eye open for it here on rs2 uh one uh, rs1 excuse me yes that's because i've just gone to uh, rs2 outside source two uh because our next guest is already keyed up which means we can move on Yes, although he probably wants to stay silent for a little while. Why? Do you know the name Terry Harriman? Terry Harriman was a rally car driver. He was. And on the 17th of February, 1985, he was alongside Ari Vatanen. Yes. And up until this weekend, that's the closest to say Brit has got to winning Rally Sweden. That's true. Except that all changed this weekend. It did. Uh, did you know that uh, Rally Sweden is celebrating 70 years? Yes, I did. Did you know that uh, 64 of uh, those 70 winners were either Swedish or Finnish? They were Scandinavian. I did know that. 65 if you include Norwegians, because yes. uh, Petter Solberg won it once. Yes, correct. Uh, but Elvin Evans uh, became the first uh, British driver to win from a win... Uh, as a driver rather than a co-driver, uh, and he led the from first start Welshman. to finish. And the first Welshman. And the first let's, Welshman. Let's, let's, yeah. And did you see any of the rally? No, because I was. Let a bit me busy. tell you why I think he won. Well, because he was faster than everybody else. Yes, but let me tell you why I think he was faster than everyone else. Right. It didn't look like Sweden. It ah, looked like Wales. It did look like Wales. Now I've seen some pictures, and I agree with that absolutely. Because there was very little snow. We talked about this with Ben last week. Um, and, on and Friday, it was wet. there was a reasonable amount of snow. Mm-hmm. On Saturday, there was a light dusting of snow. Although it did begin to fall again later on Saturday, but it didn't settle. On Sunday, it was just puddles. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the drivers still had studded tyres on. No, no, they had to have studded tyres on. Because it's be, ice. Be, be, no, no, because because it is um, designated as a snow rally, I think they had to have studded tyres. It's a bit like 
the Andros Tof- Trophy having to have studded tyres, even though there's no uh, there's no snow. I think they had to have them. I don't think they were allowed to because it's designated as an old snow rally. Uh, anyway, by the time they got to the uh, final power stage, his lead was 17.2 seconds uh, over... Now, who was second at that point? Was it Nerville or was it OGA? Oh, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, Sorry, I should know that, but I don't. Uh, it doesn't really matter anyway. Uh, it means that he's leading the championship. Yes, uh, which also is the first time that he's done that. He has. He did have a win, one win before, he didn't did, he? did, yes. So that's his second uh, win. Uh, and who's his co-driver? That's Scott Martin. Scott Martin, who used to drive with? Co-drive with? Oh. Do you not know? No. Because Elvin used to have Daniel Barrett uh, yes. when he joined the when, M Sport. When he got his first win, he had uh, Daniel Barrett alongside Correct. him. Correct. And Scott came from M Sport because he used to be Matthew Wilson's driver. Ah. Court driver. Daniel Barrett was taking part in Rally Sweden as well. Yes, he was. I noticed uh, that as well. In another Toyota alongside Takamoto Katsuta. Well done to Elvin. Absolutely brilliant. I once sh- uh, shared a very exciting five minutes in an MG front-wheel drive rally car with his dad uh, up on um, a Welsh rally stage. And it was possibly the most exciting and terrifying at the same time uh, five minutes of my life. And I don't get scared in cars with people, but I honestly thought about four times that uh, we were going to go off because I couldn't believe how quick this stopped. It was an extraordinary thing. Um, And well done to Toyota. That's another win for Toyota. uh, On the subject of sons of fathers then. Yes. uh, Third place, Kelly Rovampera. Yes. Teenager still, only 19 years old. That's a fantastic result for him. What what a chip off the old block. He was less than one year old when his father won this rally. Oh, really? That's Mm. a great start. Great start. Shall we stop talking about rallying now so I can fade Nick up? Because he'll be tut-tutting in the background. Nick Damon, did you watch any of uh, Rally Sweden? You have to stop doing that because it's mm. quite. It's been no, quite. Sorry. Ex- sorry, what? What? No, what Nick's done today is spend all day watching Formula One testing. To be fair, that's Barcelona. what we pay him for. Oh yeah, I that's did true. watch seven. I did watch or have on in the background. Uh, I think seven and a half of the eight hours. Uh, and who was unsurprisingly fastest on the day? Lewis Hamilton. And who was uh, languishing towards the back, slower than one of the Williams? Was it Charles? It is I, Leclerc. It is I, Leclerc. Yes. He was third. He was eleventh, wasn't he? But all the cars. That was fifteen. Yeah, it's, this is uh, this is odd, isn't it? Because and Queen Latifah was twelfth. Yeah, but this is well, yeah. but you don't but you don't know. Listen, I, I know everybody's trying to make something of it and create excitement, Nick. But nobody knows what programs people's going through. You're only allowed one car, which is bonkers. You're only allowed one car. To save money on a 126 race season now. So Red Bull have actually got twice as many people as they would normally have at a normal Grand Prix to run half as many cars because they've got to re-prep the car overnight because not only are they only allowed to run one car, they're actually only allowed to bring one car, which is absolutely bonkers, isn't it? I think it's mad, but, you know... The 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 the, con- the cost cutting concepts within uh, F1 are 
many varied and nearly always counterproductive and insane. Um, they've all got a second car because do you know what's going to happen when they start racing? They'll need at least two. It's a clue. Um, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, well, that's not yeah, far I mean, off, is it? No. But they... they yeah, I think... I, I'm not so sure whether this is totally... Um, non-indicative i think i think it's very very interesting to say they decided to go out there and be fastest i think they, they couldn't help themselves um you know the first test last year the car was not particularly good they then bought a new version for the second test it got a bit better and by the firing at the time they actually got to the uh, the race itself in melbourne they were great and it looks really like they've kind of had this this natural evolution of the of the winning car of last year where they actually had three or four problems that they, they could see they could sort out so they're basically improved and already very very good package it had no massive weaknesses but a few little problems you know, it was a bit too draggy for the downfalls it had some yeah. uh, some uh, flexibility didn't want it was a major problem being obviously that was had the heat rejection was wrong um and they've sorted all those problems out apparently they've also something very clear with the rear suspension and i think they just trolled round on the uh, what the old-fashioned medium tire yeah john and they love so much doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laps they always and they, do and, and, and this year, unlike last year, when they were two and a bit seconds off the pace, um, they end up being fastest and fastest by, you know, uh, 0.4 of a second from a car that's being called a Mercedes clone, which is a new racing point. Well, and, and that you, you've spoken about something there, which is very interesting to me, is this new rear suspension. And I did take notice of this today. Everybody thinks I don't like Formula One. I do. I love Formula One. I think it's brilliant. Um, what they've done with this is actually in some ways, counterintuitive, Nick, isn't it, from Formula 1? Because they've made parts of the new suspension heavier because they've moved where they're fastened to and they've moved, particularly the bottom suspension mounts, they Mm -hmm. have moved, the bottom wishbones, they have changed the angles at which they attach to things and how they attach to them, which makes them more susceptible to lateral loads, which means they've got to be heavier, However, they believe that by doing that and by cleaning up the airflow around the rear end of the car, particularly on the inside of the rear wheels, they are going to clean up, pun absolutely intended, uh, Mm. in terms of creating downforce at the back of the car, which, as we all know, the downforce at the back of the car is far less draggy than downforce at the front of the car. It's an interesting way to go about it, and it's not something that people can copy very easily. Well, it's something actually, suspension pickups is something which is the hardest thing to change and copy. Um, The thing is, if you've got some weight to play with in the car, i.e. you are underweight, and having run so many years of these, regulations and the constant increase in in weight we've seen they, yeah. most cars have a little bit to play with of course the bottom wishbone is the bottom of the car so it doesn't affect your center of gravity yeah good point. um so beefing up a bottom wishbone really isn't an, isn't an issue um yeah uh top wishbones yes you don't, you don't want to have the weight up there and 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 center of gravity is quite important the, the, the many many years ago williams did a test you know the, the the cockpit cameras at the top of the uh, on top of the airbox yes well they, they replaced that with a five kilogram weight and it was uh, put, the car exactly the same car was 0.3 of a second lap slower yeah so it wasn't five kilograms heavier you just had five kilograms right at the top of the car and it raised the center of, the center of gravity that much so it's an important one of the many important things as you as you sharpen the razor blade but no mercedes have come out you know with this you know, massively improved car from the car that was already the best car um 
Red Bull seem to be doing a reasonable job. I, I, I wouldn't read anything into the gap. And I think what Ferrari have done is they've decided to be completely perverse because everybody's expected them to put glory runs in and be the fastest. Because last year they, put, they, they were the fastest and they were rubbish in, um, in Melbourne, they actually, they've actually decided not to be quick. Mm. So, you know, the people say the car looks lazy. Well, heavy cars look lazy. Yeah, long, um, long cars look lazy as well. So my feeling is, again, I wouldn't really, I, I wouldn't read much into it apart from the fact that, um, well, certainly Mercedes do look very, very strong, but that doesn't in any way imply that Red Bull aren't strong or um, Ferrari aren't. Racing Point seems to have got a, a good car out of the box. Um, the middle seems the middle, and it does seem that we now have three teams at the back in uh, Alfa Romeo, who didn't get going at all today. No, but the, Haas, but the, but the livery's lovely with that dark well, red. Well, that's what really counts, obviously. Yeah, I agree. And it, and it does seem that Williams, now Williams did do a bit of running on the softer tyre, but didn't actually get their fastest time. It does appear that, that the absolutely worst-case scenario for them is probably a much shorter gap between the words awful and Williams for the rest of the season. Oh, really? And mm. I think they may even caught up. I mean, I, th- I think they, I think we may see. And this is all right. This is day one prediction, right? Which is going to bite me on the backside. I think Alfa Romeo, Haas, and Williams will form Division C, right? This season. Okay. Now, interestingly, the other thing people are talking about is that Alfa Romeo and Haas weren't quick. Ferrari weren't quick, and their common denominator is, is this Ferrari engine, yeah. which is supposed to be incredible, and is now obviously not allowed to eat any oil. Yeah, so, but, but again, cause and effect. One day, who knows what'll happen by tomorrow? But that's that's my first day summation. But but the Haas and the Ferrari look very very similar in the same way as the um, the Racing Point and the Mercedes look very very. Actually, the Haas, the Ferrari, and the Alfa Romeo all have that flared nostril look at yeah, the front I, I end. They I all look the, similar. The Haas and the Ferrari, much like the Mercedes and the Racing Point, are going to look similar because they're because both those teams are using all the parts they're allowed to from the parent company, well, parent company, the, the, the senior company. They, they're using a suspension, gearbox, suspension pickups. You know, for a, a large amount of, of, of parts are being carried over. So they're going to be similar. Um, Alpha, obviously the Exauber, um, their car, in, from my when I was looking at it, it looked a little bit more similar to the um, the Red Bull with the uh, open nostril at the front mm. and, uh, and everything else. But yeah, absolutely. I think Haas and Haas is a a subclone of Ferrari. Racing Point is a subclone of Mercedes. And... and Nick's just disappeared. Oh, good because I can then ask a question. All right, fine. Uh, so... oh, he's machine. back. He's back. <sighs> he's back. Go, go now, Tim. Uh... What possible reason uh, could Charles Leclerc uh, have for not being uh, at his fastest this morning? He had no idea he was driving until about quarter to seven in the morning. Correct. Um, ah, he was yes. awoken. He was fast asleep. Told that, and he was woke to be told that uh, Sebastian wasn't feeling very well. Sounds like It sounds like he's got stomach upset or stomach problem. Uh, so much so that actually Charles is carrying on tomorrow morning and they're going to theoretically swap over um, into uh, with Sebastian right in the afternoon, he feels fit enough uh, on day two. Uh, um, Alfa Mayo uh, split their mm-hmm. uh, sessions. They had one driver in the morning, one in the afternoon. They used one of their race drivers and one of their test drivers. And who was fastest? Test driver. Well, the test, the test driver, driver obviously. Robert Beats by a lot, but that doesn't mean anything. It just means they stuck loads of fuel in the Giovinazzi. Apparently, Robert Beats, who, who obviously to uh, you know, assuage sponsors and, and get those pictures for that. Um, I can't remember the Keith company. It's 
I've got pictures of it. The, the, the companies who sponsoring also got a kind of co-title sponsorship the, uh, for him. He got the half day. Apparently, he's the only test driver who's going to run in the whole of the. Oh, uh, really? So, so, so this, this the race, the whole of the test. He's the only test driver going to run. Yeah, and, and, and I think he's probably and it's obviously again a, a you know a contractual requirement. Did the first half day in and out and aero testing. Um, yeah, I mean most most people swap uh, split their the, the drivers. Um, Max did the whole day, as did Carlos Sainz for McLaren. The one team where they didn't seem to work particularly well for was uh, Renault, who started with Ocon, swapped to Ricardo. But mm. according to Renault, it took them two and a half hours to change the seat from the uh, two inch taller um, Ocon down to Ricardo. Or what anyone else would say, that's a big fat fib. You've got a problem with your car, you won't admit to people. Because if anyone's ever seen people changing cars from driver A to driver B, it takes about 20 minutes. It takes way longer to change the stickers than anything else. Yeah. They, um, they and uh, Racing Point did uh, the fewest laps by far. They did uh, 118 laps, did Renault, and Racing Point did 110. Well, Haas did 103. Yeah, but Haas only had one driver. 106 Haas did, Kevin Magnussen, apparently. No, I've got, I have a different number. Yeah. He obviously three did three now. after you stopped watching. After they wrote this this, this summation of the day, yeah. Oh, no, come um, on. No. I know you were ticking them all off on a, on a Jeremy Shaw-style lap chart, weren't you? Yes, it was. It one was thing I will say, right? one thing I will say is at the end of the day, um, when I it put... It dark. Up on the screen here, that <laughs> the sunset shots with the cars running into the gloaming at least were spectacular. They really were very good indeed. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens today. It doesn't matter what happens tomorrow or any of the other days. Because there's another test next week. Well, no, it doesn't matter because we all know who's going to win the championship. Lewis is going to win the championship and McLaren are going to win. And McLaren. And Mercedes are going to win the. Uh, world Championship for manufacturers. There's nobody well, going to. They have. They were stung, stung remember, by the criticism that they didn't have the best remember car. Remember what happened from Nick. last time Mercedes did have the best car. They didn't win. Nico Rosberg won the title. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, Nico Rosberg can't come back now, Nick. Why can't Nico Rosberg come back now? He's run out of super license points. No, we're well, something more fundamental well, than that. Well, he has, but that's not the answer that's on my card. Uh, I he, don't know. His number is quite literally up. Oh, he's been stolen by Nicholas Latifi, isn't it? After the three-year grace period. There you go. Number, yeah. And why did yeah. he choose the number six? Uh, because he's a big fan of the prisoner. <laughs> Didn't we do this story two weeks ago when the driver numbers were actually announced? Not with me. If you did, I can't remember it. I think I think I think teams do shows in his head that they get probably get broadcast. It's, it's all better. this stuff that we run out of time for, and I've written the script and it just gets dropped. Isn't it because Tim that he comes from um, Toronto? And, yes, and, and Toronto's area code is six so six or something like that, and they're it? called sixes. They called the they call themselves the sixes or the six. So he was very keen to get the number six on his car. Which team was appointed a new test driver today? I don't know. Oh, we have Romeo. And who is she? She? Uh, oh, blimey. I'll, um, <laughs> Sophia Flosh? No. Um, okay. Uh, give me a nationality. It's Tatiana Calderon. I'm not going to oh. wait for you to guess. Well, they're Go not. Well, sorry, this is a test. Tatiana Calderon is not going to drive an F1 car in anger. 
anytime soon. Ever. Ever. Okay. She's not even the best. She's not even the. In fact, she's probably the least good woman in in in, in the car she's doing the P two in. It's just a, yeah, a PR thing. Now let's There's move on. Let's move on to coronavirus next. Oh, I think I've gone. That's uh, my coronavirus. Virus is it? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Who was that? That was the knack. Well, well, oh, the knack. Very good. Very good. Um, Vietnam definitely going ahead. Well, that's what they say. Um, there's very little coronavirus in Vietnam, despite having a long border, uh, very, sorry, very close proximity to China. So, but, you know, there's, there's no... I mean, more. I Russia think has a longer there. border with China. Yeah, but there's no more coronavirus in Vietnam. I think there is here or, or wherever the, the next um, cruise ship docks, to be honest. So there's no reason to, to change that. And uh, who's thrown their hat in the ring to host a replacement for the Chinese Grand Prix? It's our very good friends uh, in uh, just down the road from Bologna, or just up the road from Forley, yes. where you can see the washing hung out on a Thursday. It's oh, Imola! Really? Yes. It's not going to happen. I know. No, but the fact that they've said, we'll do it, is uh, very nice. Yeah, it's so much so that the track manager says even he knows he's not going to do it. But he's, I think he's throwing his hat in the ring just to make a point. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, one more Formula One story before mm-hmm. we move away from Formula One. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, for this one, I'm going to say hello, Shay Adam. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm good. Uh, and the Miami Grand Prix took a step closer to becoming reality this morning, didn't it? <laughs> Did it? Did it? Yes. I'm blissfully unaware of this. Uh, a meeting of county commissioners uh, had a vote uh, this morning um, after uh, an ordinance uh, brought in front of the county board to attempt to change the zoning rights of Hard Rock Stadium um, was uh, rejected. So hmm. Hard Rock Stadium is allowed to continue uh, to have auto racing um, as uh, a uh, as a purpose, an uh, option. Uh, now, that's just taking away one impediment, but it still doesn't mean it's going to happen, Shay, does it? Uh, no, 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 it, it doesn't. But um, I do agree with the ordinance going through, saying that auto racing events. Can- place at the stadium because that also includes things like monster trucks mm-hmm. which is a very big draw down here uh tends to take place <laughs> in the bb and t arena which is an indoor arena that's where the florida panthers play their hockey and it's very very loud to bring those trucks into an enclosed arena so i like the idea of maybe having that where the dolphins play and there's an open roof uh so maybe the noise can escape a little bit but that's not saying yes go ahead and have a race that's just saying yeah, you can't have racing here. This isn't just a facility for ball sports. The uh, There's also been an acoustic impact study on the stadium, uh, which has v- revealed that the maximum sound level of a Formula One race would be less than a rock or pop concert, which frequently happened there, apparently. Yeah, completely agree with that. And to be honest, uh, well... Um, if you're considering maybe a better fan base, and I say that fully of where I'm living down here for 30 years, the Dolphin fans are not the rowdiest. But 
in the NFL, you can get groups of fans that are loud enough to drown out, say, a 747 jet engine. So I'm thinking of Seattle and the Seahawks, and they have a decibel meter inside their stadium. So it is completely unreasonable to say you can't have Formula One here because it's too loud. It's not as loud as some football games get. Mm. Uh, and finally, uh, who are the MGHA? Uh, Miami Germans. No, no, Miami group arms? of historic uh, aliens. It's the Miami Gardens Homeowners Association. <laughs> there we go. Well, I was, I was uh, probably close. Okay. They filed two yep, lawsuits. Yep. Okay. One against Formula One, mm-hmm. and one against yep. the Miami Dolphins. Ooh, now that's interesting. Why the Dolphins? Is, now, is it, is for, it against for the letting them use their stadium for race? No way. I haven't seen Ooh. the detail of it. Right. Um, can I huh. ask a question here? You may. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not quite sure what this obsession with Miami is. I'm sure it's lovely, though. It's well, I do remember my friend had a purse stolen in Miami in South Beach. Anyway, but um, oh, but that wouldn't happen here because this is Miami Gardens. It's further west. It's uh, not got the want... crime levels. No, you would just get shot. If you want a second race in America, why don't you go to an existing grade one track with an active fan base and a new owner who wants to make a splash? Because, Nick, the difference is Indianapolis there, there has zero cars? appeal as a city. Yeah, that's not true. As, well, it's the Indy 500 is the Indi- Indianapolis as a race circuit is in the three most famous circuits in the world. You can't make it look yes. busy. It's, it, it is a stadium that not look full unless there's 400,000 people inside of it. That, <laughs> that is people, one thing that's well, very true, Rather than selling 100,000 tickets at $200, sell 400,000 tickets at $50 in. Yeah, the population but of Speedway Indiana is about 9,000, Nick. Yeah, Yeah, there aren't that many people in Indianapolis who would come out, uh, and it wouldn't draw people like the Indianapolis 500 does because people go to there. When I I was down there, was it 2000, 2001, 2002? It seemed quite busy. Um, I I think Nick brings up a decent point um, in terms of Roger Penske having taken it over. I think that Roger has the business brain probably to make it work. I think the Formula One's in a different place now and the owners that they've got would be far more disposed to talking to them about it. Um, Whether they need a second race in the States or not is... I think they definitely need a second race in the States, but I don't think they need a second race to purpose-built race venues. So if they're going to go to Indianapolis, they need to dump Cota and go to a street circuit. Court has just been resurfaced, apparently. Why have we got this obsession with street circuits? They never make great races. Well, no, but they make lots of money, so... Do they? They cost what we put on. They cost a fortune to put on, which is the reason that, ultimately, that Formula E will feel nothing to do with anything else. It'll feel because they can't afford it anymore. It's, it's, I, I mean, this whole expansion theory is if you're going to have a new race it has to be you know vietnam's running through the streets you've got you know baku runs through this is a, is a mixture circuit but yeah, this miami thing it just seems you know i haven't got anything against miami personally I've, it's I've very retro nick it's very re- retro i think you know some of the places we've been to in the past i went to Brno uh, mm. last year for the first time 
And, you know, that was a long straight set. Now, if we can revive some of those types of circuits, <laughs> that's, I'd, I'd, I'd be right up for that. America doesn't have that sort of street, John. No, that's true. But why don't we do that? In, <laughs> why don't we do that instead of um, some of the European why, circuits? Why are we not in Caesar's Palace car park again? Come on, let's I go watched, there. I watched With the more than one camera this time. I watched the 1981 <laughs> Las Vegas Grand Prix, and it is not as bad a spectacle as people make it's out. It's not a bad spe- spectacle at all. It was an interesting race. There was quite a lot of mechanical failures, uh, which didn't help, I suspect. But um, but it wasn't a bad track, despite the fact that it wasn't a car park. No. Anyway, moving on. Can uh, we talk a bit of sports cars with these two before we let one or both of them go? Uh, we can do, yes. Which sports cars would you like to talk about? Well, let's talk about the fact that uh, we've got a brand new season of FIA WEC starting in... Eight, eight months, months time yeah we, we've got to finish our current season yes but let's, i'm looking forward one two three four and we've got a race this go. weekend yeah. and we've got a race weekend johnny palmer will be uh our johnny palmer and bruce jones will be doing the race although apparently i'm told i'm doing qualifying which is gonna be quite fun well johnny palmer's currently on his way to an airport excellent good um he's closer to Krillzy than he is to us at the moment um <laughs> so fortunately he's also closer to kota than he is to us well, yes, true. Um, so, uh, Silverstone, brand new set of regulations. Now, mm-hmm. we said on the show last week that there wouldn't be a Glickenhaus on the grid in the new Ipa car class. There wouldn't be an Aston Martin on the grid. Come back to that in a moment. Uh, and there wouldn't be a Peugeot on the grid. It now seems there might not be a Toyota on the grid either, Nick. Well, yes, Um what happened um, yesterday, today, actually, well, yesterday the rumours came out today, is that Aston Martin have postponed their entry, i.e. they've cancelled it, but for some reason they don't want to use the word cancel. Um, and they will not be taking part in the wonderful word of Ipecar, Um though In 21-22, it said specifically those dates. at all. Um, and they are keeping, well, they say they, they, obviously they're keeping their, their eye potentially open on the, uh, what, what is it called? LMP, LMP, uh, DPI 2.0. Let's, let's just, yeah. let's, they're keeping let's their eye forget, on that, right? let's forget all the silliness. This is DPI 2.0. It's never changed from being DPI 2.0. It's still DPI 2.0. 2.0. Yeah. So they're now looking at that as a chance to do what they actually did before, of course, when they stuck their, their, uh, styling on the front of a uh, existing Lola chassis and the V12 <laughs> in the back, the V12 in the back. So they've done it before. Oh, that's a good um, point. And they were quite happy doing it. So there's no reason why they wouldn't be happy to do it again. Um, Can I just say mean? I spoke? To, I had a, a detailed email back and forth with uh, senior figures at Aston Martin Lagonda, as well as Aston Martin Racing, earlier on this week before this story broke, and they told me quite categorically that there would be. There'd be no. We asked them to come on the show. We asked them to come on the show, and not unreasonably, they said, "We'll make a statement. When we make the statement, that'll be the statement, and there'll be nothing else that we make other than the statement." Um, the FIA, WEC, and the ACO have uh, poured scorn on the statement, quite honestly, and I, I, I very rarely that I criticise anybody, and also have pointed. To the reasons for Aston Martin not doing it as them being in financial difficulty as a as a as a business, which I think is um, 
dangerous to suggest unfair. that. And given the fact they've just had a financial rescue package, it's it may well be it's not necessarily, uh, you know, that, 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 yeah, it is possible they may have had a change of, of direction with um, uh, Lawrence Stroll coming in and saying, right, the motorsport direction is now going to be much more F1 and, and, and I'm sure customer the racing... The is still going to be built, Nick, the road And car. still sold out, still sold out. No one's cancelled any of the orders, have sold it out, they've sold out the the uh, track version as well. It's the going to MR be version, astounding. Yeah. Um, and let's you know, not forget, so... Aston Martin are coming... I've watched Aston Martin for the whole of my, pretty much the whole of my 57 years on this planet. And when Andy Palmer took control of it, it was once again in a state of flux as it has been down through the years with various owners, myriad of owners down through the years. I think Andy delivered relatively quickly nine consecutive quarters of surplus of profit for Aston Martin. The turnover about £1.2 billion a year they have invested massively in a brand new factory to build the suv the aston dbx aston martin dbx in st Athen in wales it cost them an inordinate amount of money for the ipo uh, the floating on the stock market over 160 million pounds to put themselves in a position to buy out the existing uh, shareholders to make arrangements for the staff and management who uh, were holding existing stock over 62 million for that alone in the 160 odd million that it was and that when you've only turned over uh, 1.2 billion that's a significant amount to go to IPO let's not forget they also had the disappointment of not selling the previous Aston Martin Vantage IP and tooling to the Chinese, which conservatively would have bought in half a million quid. So, right, they haven't had it great, but it's not like they're going to go, you know what, tomorrow. They're in a much better place than they've been in my lifetime, as as Aston Martin Lagonda. With the new DBX coming online, it's happy days are here again, isn't it? The money's going to come in finally, yeah. I mean, you know, I think think the issue is, is that if we're really, really honest about this, and if... The ACO sit down. They have bungled and messed up, and well, other words you can't say on the radio. Um, the whole introduction of hypercar from day one. Who have they, they, the ACO from and, day one and the FIA? And, and well, yeah, but the, uh, there's the been ACO, too many cooks. Mate. Yeah, and what's suddenly happened is they've given they've finally come to their senses and realised how racing works financially. Well, actually, that's not fair. The Americans have. And now the ACO, to prop up their um, effectively failing concept, have uh, have gone for another concept which is makes way more financial sense, still ticks the box marketing-wise, mm, which absolutely. it needs to be. It says the world hybrid. Yeah, all us racing nerds know the hybrid's going to be way less than anything else, but that doesn't matter to Joe Public. No. He doesn't care that it's 80 kilowatts or 5,000 kilowatts. It's not important to him Let, or let's, her. I, I, I'm not, I don't like to criticise very many people, and I, and, and I, 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 I did criticise the SEO for the, the press release that came out. I thought that was unnecessarily petty, if I'm honest. Um, the SEO, the FIA and LMEM have been pulling in different directions. The hypercar concept apparently was demanded by the manufacturers, particularly McLaren. Yes, Mr. Zach Brown, I'm looking at you. Um, we want to have cars that look more like our cars that can win Le Mans overall. Not the only one, by the way. So by, by no means am I singling out McLaren. I'm using them as an example. Um, 
then they have not come. Now, you've got to ask yourself why they have not come when the ACO delivered that concept two years ago now, two and a half years ago. But it never moved on within the first year. They, um, look, we had Vonson Bowman in. It's not my job to, to defend Vonson and the ACO technical department either, but I thought that was a pretty honest and open interview that Vonson gave to us uh, at the end of last year uh, in the previous season. Go and look it up and have a listen to it if you haven't heard it. But it was clear that they, the ACO were under pressure from the FIA to have hybrid. I, I heard from well-placed sources that if no hybrid was involved, then the World Championship was going to be taken away from them. And um, they've still got them on. Uh, LMEM and Gerard Navo, the, the people who run the WEC, they've got a championship to run and they've got to think about the show for the championship. So their... Um, imperative was very different um pierre fillon was convinced that the manufacturers would support the hypercar then they haven't with some notable exceptions including glickenhaus whose nose has bent out of shape as well today because of what's been said um from the aco because they've been ignored all the way through this which is extraordinary given those they they were the first people to say they were going to do it what we have here surely is a perfect example of a horse designed by committee and in trying to include everyone which i understand why vonson bormanil and the seo tech department fine they've tried to do that but in doing so they've made it inclusive for everybody in their marketing ideals but they've made it interesting to precisely nobody as well nick well you know also when you look at the actual budgets the factories have been spending um Oh, yeah, because the 20 million cap went straight away, didn't it? You know, you then go, well, hang on a second. If I want to do that as a factory, I may as well actually build a prototype and go and do F1. Because whatever we say, I know we're a sports car-based broadcast. The fact is, you get, you know, Mercedes get £3 billion worth of uh, PR from doing what they do in F1. You probably get £200 from doing the World Endurance Championship, which £185 comes from Le Mans. And that's the that's the thing. So now, so what they've done now is they offer the lifeline to the manufacturers with DPI Part Mark Two, mm-hmm. and they're all snapping their hands off it. But that does mean a year's delay, and no one wants to invest the money. The thing we haven't quite discussed, which I think you wanted to get to, John, is now we have a holding announcement from Toyota, don't we? Yes, indeed. And it may be that they won't be on the grid either. Uh, at Silverstone and with the demise of Rebellion who've said that Le Mans will be their last race uh, with the uncertainty over Ginetta and the future of their P1, current P1 programme which was due to be grandfathered and uh, we don't know what Collis is doing um, there's going to be no Peugeot as we said final point from me on this and shake very quick on this um, the Valkyrie is built in part at least by Multimatic, who are an, um, a DPI 2.0 manufacturer because they're a um, LMP2 manufacturer. Um, am I being too cynical to think that that's got something to do with this? Possibly. Probably not. Um, <laughs> but I will say that there were Ford people who um, I talked with this week, as recently as today, who didn't realize that Valkyrie was related to Multimatic. Mm. So it's not that known uh, with, uh, within the industry. I mean, it's no secret, but it's not something that's shouted from the rooftops for yeah, sure. Agreed. We will have a much better idea in 
April, who's in and who's out for DPI 2.0. Um, and s- until then, the manufacturers are making their plans, but we just don't know what they are. Yeah, I, I just may, I'm calling, still calling it DPI 2.0 because what hasn't changed is IMSA's view of what it is. They they were ploughing their own furrow, uh, and that hasn't changed. Tim, point from you. How much of this is down to Lawrence Stroll? Do you think nothing? For Definitely me. nothing. I, I, no, I can't say that. I can't say I that. I don't know. I I think that Lawrence coming on board and refocusing the um, the premier, the prime motorsport outlet from badging up a Red Bull engine cover to actually becoming a title sponsor of a Formula One team is obviously going to make them look at what their other works involvement is going to be. But Nick, and don't forget that that project, that project, the Valkyrie project, is a Red Bull technology, Adrian Newey and Aston Martin project. Yeah. Right. I, I think it, you kind of go. Do we need to be in ultra expensive hypercar? When we've now, when we're now going to have a, I assume a green Aston Martin running around F1 tracks, and the answer is no. No, but but Aston Martin weren't ever paying for the Valkyrie race project. That was being sourced from outside. And Andy Palmer and Dave King, David King, told us that when they were on Radio Le Mans on the uh, the Great British Breakfast on the Saturday morning after they had announced it. They wouldn't tell us who their partners were, but they, it, it's not that. This is, this is. I don't think it's anything to do with that. Um, the IPO possibly didn't go as as, as, uh, as well as Aston wanted it to go, but it's nothing to do with Brexit. It's nothing to do with that. No. I, I honestly think, look, they've already got a partnership with Larry Holt. They know Larry from a long time ago, there's an opportunity, and you've hit the nail on the head, Nick, at seeing it, there's an opportunity for them to put one of their very nice V8 or V12 engines. Look, the Cosworth engine is still going to go up in the back of the, the Valkyrie. It's still going to make 1,100 horsepower. Why couldn't it go in the back of an LMP2 car? Uh, anyway, that's that's by the by. Uh, let's... Uh, remind you that you're. We're going to say goodbye to Nick now because you've got other things to do tonight. I Nick, have. thanks very much for being with us. Yep. See you all tomorrow next week. Woohoo! Cheers, man. Are you right. here next week? I'll give it a go. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll speak to you in the morning about what we're doing tomorrow. Okay. All right. I'll we, give we, you a ring. Cheers, mate. Bye. Uh, series 15, episode eight. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. We continue with hour two, which starts right now. Midweek Motorsport. And don't you dare switch off now, because the next hour's going to be even better. Uh, we're going to get let Shea take a little breather for a moment, but she will be back in hour two. Uh, Nick and Shea, both live, by the way. Uh, in hour two, Shea will be talking about American Motorsport. We'll be looking back at Daytona. Uh, we'll be looking forward to the FIA WEC at quarter and some IMSA news coming as well. Uh, we've got a look back at last weekend's Asian Le Mans series, setting up a great finale this weekend at Buriram. And we're back next with the big interview. Earlier on, uh, last week, in fact, I spoke to another young driver making his way in sports car racing. Our big interview coming next on Midweek Motorsports is with Phil Hansen. And that kicks off hour number two. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Into the second hour of Midweek Motorsport Series 15, episode number seven. As promised, Phil Hansen is our big interview tonight. Happy New Year. Phil seems odd saying that when we're in February. Uh, looking forward to getting 
I was going to say getting the season underway, but getting the season back underway with WEC at quarter. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. Um, it's been my, my longest winter break that I think I can remember <laughs> since I've started racing, uh, which seems funny because I think two months probably isn't actually that long, but in motorsport it seems like an age, you know. How does this winter series affect affect you as a racing driver and the teams as well? Because, as you say, it's uh, it's an odd situation where it's effectively like a football year or a school year, isn't it? Because you start in September and, and finish in June. Different mentality for that? Yeah, it's, it's a funny one because at the start of every season when you, you've got all your plans worked out and you think, OK, well, the last race is in November or whatever, you are always accounting for this winter break, which is good for the teams because they can take the time to really rebuild the cars and go through a lot of snagging stuff that they've always wanted to be able to do and throughout the season never really got around to doing it with other priorities taking place. Um, but then in most years, you get to sort of halfway through the year and then you, you decide to do a, a winter series such as like Asian Le Mans series or Daytona, for example, my past couple of years. So for this for this year, not to have that is it's quite a different feeling for me, and I'm, I get a bit bored to be honest. I'm, I get a bit bored of training and waiting around, but in the whole, I think it's probably good for the team to really be able to lock into to looking at some stuff that they maybe haven't had the chance to um, in the busy months of racing at the end of last year. Um, for those that don't know, and I should have said this before, and apologies, yeah, you were racing with United Autosports again in P2 uh, this this year. I have to say, Phil, you've had a fairly meteoric rise. We've watched you since, what, four years ago? 2016, you were doing Endurance Championship here in the UK, British LMP3 Cup, uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup as well, of course. And your career path, I mean, you started in carts, I, th- I think I'm right in saying, didn't you? Yeah, I did, yeah. I started in carts when quite late, actually. Again, in the sport, normally you start at sort of eight or ten years old, but I started at around 14. And uh, I just did a year, two years of two and a half years of karting. Um, but when I say two and a half years of karting, I literally mean we might have missed three weekends every year. So poor, poor my dad for coming to some some of the the, the worst parts of England and experiencing the worst weather in England um, on a rainy Saturday, thinking, "Why is he doing this?" When he just wants to be at home. But yeah, um, yeah. So it's been quite, it's been quite an impressive little. Uh, little uprise for my career actually um and now we're in Europe it seems to be going a lot better and you've had you've had quite a wide experience we mentioned LMP3 so that was you getting into prototypes very early on in your car career but you were driving GT cars as well back in 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 2016 um Audi am I right in saying that you were yeah. driving was that was with Nigel Moore yeah it was it was a funny one because we were driving the old generation mm. LMP3 uh no LMP3 GT3 Audi and that was the year when all the new ones came out. So we found ourselves a little bit uncompetitive and the BOP couldn't quite catch up in time. And then we made the switch to LMP3, luckily, because they, uh, we noticed a car dropped out of um, the European Le Mans series. And as we were supporting that series in the Michelin Le Mans Cup, we were able to transition easily into it. And, um, of course, it played a big role that I was still a bronze driver status because it was in my first year of cars. So when we finished off the last couple rounds of the ELMS series, we were able to... We thought then, what, what's next? Because I'm going to lose my bronze driver status. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to maximise that, so we went to do Asia, and then in Asia we ended up winning the championship in LMP3, which kind of kickstarted everything. Because at the end of that, I was a silver, so LMP3 wasn't as much of an option for me as it was to 
progressing to LMP2 because um, as a silver in LMP3, you kind of sit in no man's land. You, you either drive as a pro in the car or you kind of sit in a three driver lineup between a pro, a silver that's been racing LMP3 for many years or a, a bronze driver that's bringing the budget. So it was it made, it was a no-brainer for us really to move to LMP2 and really kind of put myself in the deep end and, and jump in, especially after I did a good good job in the Asian One Series. Uh, and in, in 2018, I remember you coming to the States with uh, starting your partnership with United Autosports. Was your first race for United with Lando Norris and Fernando Alonso at, 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 uh, at Daytona? Yeah, it was. Because um, I found myself a bit we, we, in, in a in an odd scenario with Tockwith before I moved to United with the team not really being able to cope with the LMP2 and reliability issues playing a big role and there wasn't much development going on. So to jump from that to sharing the car with two-time world champion and an up-and-coming F1 driver was quite a different scenario for me. Um, but obviously I had done quite a few days testing with United uh, in preparation and working with the team, being familiar with everything because it was quite a big switch for me from from basically a team that struggled in most sports to uh, one of the biggest teams in the ACO championships. Mm. Uh, yeah, and then to race at Daytona, which would be my first ever time. You know, I think that was probably my second 24-hour race at that time as well. Um, yeah, it was funny because I was bringing some experience to the team in the car with yet sharing the sharing the car with two-time world champion Fernando Alonso. So it was a weird dynamic that I was the most familiar person with the car. Yeah. That a, a really weird situation. You did three out of the four of the what was then the Tequila Patron North American Endurance Cup uh, that year. Alex Brundle, good friend of ours, and Paul Resta, Paul Deresta, good friend of ours at Sebring, came fifth there. And then at Watkins Glen, again with Paul and Bruno Senna, I think it was who jumped in with you there. You were just off the podium in fourth. Um, enjoyed the US experience. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a good experience for me. Looking back at it now, I probably wouldn't have answered that at the time because I was a bit mad about how the BOP and everything had played out. Um, and then at Watkins Glen, what looked to, we looked to be on for a win or a second. We got uh, punted up back and had some damage, which pushed us back down to sixth, and we came back through to fourth in the end. Which is which is the good part of racing in America because it means when something happens in the race with the safety car structure and the unlapping yourself, you can c- come back in the fight. But at the same time, I wasn't too happy about the fact that we, we were hit and there was no repercussions or penalties for the people that hit us and they gained a clear advantage after contact. But I guess that's the sort of trade-off between racing in America and Europe is it's less policed out there, but at the same time, you have more chance to come back in the race when you have an issue. Where in Europe, if you had an issue, you go a lap down, you, you, your game's over. But at the same time, it's very pleased that if you make a mistake and hit someone, you're bound to get a drive-through. I know there was a reason for this, but I can't remember it. Why didn't you do the fourth round at Petit, Motel Petit Le Mans that year? Was there a clash with something? Um, I feel like the answer is yes. You know, I can't. Yeah. It was Asian Le Mans series, I think. It was Asian yes. Le Mans series. Yes, I think you're right. I think you're right. At the, at the same time, we weren't that enthusiastic doing it because we could we started to learn about how the politics played mm. a big part in the BOP and we figured that it started to become clear that the manufacturers in America were getting a better BOP for the bigger races. So it would come back to your Watkins Glen, but then rumour had it that it would kind of, the BOP would drift away from the P2s towards Pitti. So 
And there was an, there's an inherent um, disadvantage with the P2s um, yeah. over yeah. there yeah. having having spec suspension. Uh, and on the uh, Watkins Glen, I think had just been resurfaced then, so it was actually pretty smooth for a US. In yeah. fact, pretty smooth full stop and very smooth for a US circuit. Uh, that the advantage the DPIs had, as you rightly say, was um, they had uh, free suspension parts and they were much better on the bumpy circuits. And of course, as you mentioned there. Um, LMP2 was actually taken out of the top class and made a class uh, of its own. Uh, 2018's Le Mans was a bit of a disappointment as well because you were, you were running well in that and uh, PDR got uh, uh, went off the track and, and had a shot. Were you in fourth position at that point? Yeah, that, again, this is a funny story because you can really see how, how motorsport isn't clear. You think where I've got to now and you look back and you think, well, there's have been a lot of bad luck. <laughs> you know, I... I, I, I sometimes say bad luck and I uh, kind of always worry that people assume that I need good luck. No, I just don't need any luck. I just, I just want a clean race, you know? I think if you left it down to the team's ability and the driver's ability, we'd be there. Um, and, uh, yeah, Le Mans, it was a funny one because cars were dropping out from the attrition of the 24-hour race at Le Mans. But we were staying in strong. We were by far the fastest Ligier, apart from there was one other, but he dropped out a few a few minutes after we crashed um and so that would have put us third and then post-race penalties would have bumped us up to second so what would have been in hindsight a great race it didn't turn out to be so lucky with with Paul's crash no that's one of those things um you can't take them back unfortunately if we fast forward to uh, 2019 effectively the the start of this season because let, let's not forget that that sort of right through the seasons and we, we come into 2019 uh, not a great start at Silverstone with Philippe Albuquerque and Paul uh, but then two thirds and a first at respectively Fuji Shanghai and Bahrain and getting ready as I know you have been recently putting in some time at the sim getting ready to go to quarter and presumably Phil you want to compete, c- continue that run of podiums yeah so Again, this is my, my argument against luck playing uh, saying it. <laughs> because uh, the first round at Silverstone was the first round United had with the Orica. So good point. It was a it was a learning curve for everyone, and unfortunately, all the sort of gremlin electronic issues all seemed to happen in the race. And you think to ourselves, like the first lap of the wet race, that's when something went wrong with an electronic issue and had have we done one more lap in quali one more lap in the prologue one more lap in all the testing it would have shown up <laughs> so unfortunately there and i think we would have been on a strong result and then in fuji we had another electronic issue which dropped us out the the top hunt um for, for a podium but we managed uh, for a win but we managed to get it back a podium and then at shanghai uh, a really op- a weird thing happened with the um the team's logo on the piece of vinyl that sits underneath the airbox somehow oh, miraculously yeah. came up and got stuck in the airbox. And when you when you just take away the time loss we lost in the first stint, we would have had the win pretty comfortably. So it's a shame because what could have been, in hindsight it's very easy to say what could mm. have would have been. But um when you look at everyone else's best race plan and our best race plan, we would have been a win, a podium, and two wins. Mm. Which I know it sounds greedy to say that, but I think when you when you do the job that we've been doing as a team and as a driver lineup, I think it's a shame not to come away with those results. But then, of course, Bahrain was a clean race for us. 
and we were able to get it done there. So I'm hoping that the momentum can continue into this year with the remaining four races. Yeah, I was doing uh, the comms on uh, with the guys, um, sort of did the middle couple of hours for the guys with that being an eight-hour race, and I was watching the strategy play out as well. That was really what I was doing. Um, and you guys had pretty much a perfect race there. Uh, we should say that at the same time as you're doing WEC, you've been doing the ELMS as well, which is a more regular season, more calendar-based season uh, in a single year um and silver it has to be said that silverstone uh, last year wasn't kind to you at all was it <laughs> yeah i don't think motorsport has been kind to me in, in, in many respects but i don't think it's kind to to anyone i think that's what makes it so good is because you get all this feeling of that like, it's not working for you and there's so much disaster and so much bad luck and you make you make mistakes here and there and teams make mistakes but then when you finally get that victory it's all the more sweet and i think that's why everyone gets so addicted and drawn into it is that when you have that result it you just you feel like you're the king of the world and then it wears off the next day and then you realize you're back to normality it's, I, yeah, so I think it's something i said to the guys um you know this time of year when you start championships uh, you know last year you might have been world champion but everybody starts on zero again and that's yeah. that's pretty much how it, it it's the start of every weekend it is yeah. is like that isn't it I remember someone saying to me in karting, you're only as good as your last race. And they, and they were like, where do you finish your last kart race? And I said, second. He said, exactly. First loser. And I thought, yeah, you know what? You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> What's it been like then, Phil, in the early part of your career? And, and you're still very much in your formative years. You haven't turned 20 yet, have you? Oh, no, I just turned, I turned 20 last July. Just, yeah. just 20, right, okay. Yeah. Um, so you're just into your 20s, but you've driven with people like Lando Norris, Fernando Alonso, Paul DeResta, Alex Brundle, Philippe Albuquerque has been your co-driver in the European Le Mans series. And by the way, we, sh- we should say a fourth position in the championship and a win in a second at Spa in Portimao uh, at the end of, of the year to finish off that season. What's it like being driving with, with those guys and uh, have you been able to, to learn from them? Yeah, um, like you said, we finished up. We made a we made a big change. The team made a big change, moving from Lichier, which they understood and knew, to Orica, which seemed to be the more consistently fast car. Um, and when we made that change, that's when the Gremlin issues came. Um, but then the last two races were clean. At Spa, we won a pretty dominant victory, where we were we were quicker by quite a margin. And then Portimao, we would have we would have lapped everyone apart from the top three or top four. But we had you say that kept being at awkward times so they killed our margins um but even still we we were on for a strong result and then we lost i lost the lead at the last closing mm. 30 minutes of the race but came home a respective second which is a strong result in the lms um but yeah a, a lot of what my success has come down to is being in the right place at the right time so i say there's a lot of bad luck but at the same time i've managed to be um partnered up with great drivers like felipe and paul mm. And I think that does play a big role because they, they've they had a massive career in the sport and they've done everything that I'm trying to accomplish in my next coming 15 years in, in, in the category. So to understand what they're doing and being able to see how they handle different situations, I think that's that plays more of a part than actually looking at data because yeah. one fast driver to the next may have a different style, but at the end of the day, you can still learn from anyone's data and you can pick up even from someone who's maybe not as quick as you, but they may be better in certain aspects. But learning how people give feedback and deal with different situations, I think that's what makes a, a full-rounded racing driver, uh, a full-rounded professional, especially at the top level of Felipe and Paul. Uh, I, I mean, you did a lot of racing 
last year and running into to this year because in, in addition to the European Le Mans series starting uh, uh, off obviously at the, the normal part of the year you also had were finishing off the 18-19 season in the Asian Le Mans series with Paul Dresta again four rounds for that second second first and second won the championship youngest uh, uh, championship winner um, uh, then um, so I mean You've got a bit of history out there in Asia, um, having won it in uh, 1617. I would suggest that the, the level of competition has gone up a bit since then, but you still managed to, to pull it off in, in 1819. How many races have you done then in the last year or so? I don't actually know the answer to that question. I guess they'd probably be about 20 races, maybe. Wow. An endurance race, and that's quite a lot. You it know? is. I think, yeah, because when people hit 20 races, they think, oh, that's just a season in F1. But yeah, in endurance racing, you, you Le Mans is the whole season of F1 in one race. So you've yeah. got to take that into account. Um, yeah, I've done a lot of racing. And you're right, the level in Asia has got better, but it's, it's nowhere yet at the same level as Europe and, and the WEC Championship. So mm. I think, although I've won the championship in the Asian Le Mans series, I think my outright win at Spa and wins in the Ligier the year before or win at Bahrain, that hold much more of a uh, an impressive sort of record for me, at least because I know the competition, and a lot of people might not see the competition as clearly as people actually in the sport. But I think the level in Elamess, for example, with eighteen cars, all pretty competitive. Um, I think winning a race of that and well, dominating at Spa, like we did, I think that's that's more impressive to me than winning the championship in Asia. And, and the ELMS is looking mighty this year as well. Looks like it possibly could be oversubscribed. I'm not sure that they could get anybody else in unless they bring a large shoehorn and some liquid soap, uh, to be <laughs> honest. And that means that traffic's going to be a lot different. And, and <clears> that's <throat> something that you've you've learned over the years as well. What, one thing that I, I do want to say <laughs> is you've talked about bad luck and not getting the results, but your personal performance you must be very pleased with because you've been able to compare yourself with some top drivers so even in right at the time when the car falls out of fourth which may have been third second or or even better at Le Mans with four hours to go you're going to be chased off I understand that but can you with the advantage of maybe a couple of days a couple of weeks or, or, or maybe a month's grace and, a, 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 and distance from that can you take something positive out of your own performance phil yeah definitely and i think the performances that i've been showing in in the last rounds of work in the last rounds of elements have been super impressive it's very difficult to, to compare yourself against other drivers um when they race at different times but um when i look at the the sort of lap times and stint averages and everything that i'm doing against people on the circuit especially in Neil MS. Um, I think there was one race spa where I was fastest driver, fastest theoretical driver, fastest five, 10 and stint averages. And I was looking at that thinking, and, and I was trying to, trying to justify, um, um, like, you know, cause you always trying to think about the different circumstances. Like, well, you know, I, you got to look at it in a fair way. I had new tires here. He didn't, he was on a different strategy and all that stuff. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I looked at that and thought, yeah, I've probably accomplished quite a lot in that one race. Yeah, very, very much indeed. Let's bring you back to the matter at hand, uh, the next round of the WEC. Not where you expected it to be, of course. You were expecting uh, to go to Brazil, Sao Paulo. Uh, that hasn't happened. So very quickly and efficiency, uh, efficiently, LMEM, uh, Gerard Nouveau and his team have managed to organise uh, a trip to Circuit of the Americas. Now, I know you've been on the sim practising 
for that. Is that going to be the sort of circuit that you're going to enjoy and is going to fit fit uh, well with you and United Autosport and the and the car? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know yet because I've, I've never been there. But I hear that it's uh, relatively low grip and they're doing some resurfacing to get rid of some of the bumps. So mm. I think that'll probably drop the grip level a little bit more. But um, I think the team's been doing such a good job recently about setting up the car to all the unknowns. And we've done a really good job in uh, in making sure that we're we're quick the moment we turn up. So I think if we can do the same thing in Kota and have a good good start to it, then um, we can carry that momentum through the weekend. And sometimes that's that's how it goes. Sometimes if you turn up and and the setup that you roll out, you know, you put the put the car on and you roll out the truck and if it works sometimes it's just a question of tuning everything into it mm. and that you have always have this tough weekends where you're coming out and you can't quite work the setup out and you you know you spend the whole time just chasing yourself and you you get a bit lost those are the those are the tough weekends but the when you minimize all those other factors and you know the drivers are doing a good job and the setup's good and the team's doing a good job i think then everything's going to come together and hopefully that's that's what happened at bahrain so hopefully we can continue that on into Kota. But like you, like I said, it's a new track, so I, I'm I'm ready to expect anything. But at the same time, I've got full confidence in the team to be able to do the job. In terms of the track itself, you can break it down pretty much into three distinct sectors. So that first sector, run up the turn one, down through those fabulous S's, uh, which is all about rhythm and downforce, and you pop out over turn nine and from then on you sort of down the hill then there's that long back straight and then you've got the nudgy bit at the end which in a gt car um and i've raced a gt car so i can actually see this um i actually quite enjoy the end of the track i find it very challenging i'm not sure what it would be like in a higher downforce car i think it might as i say be a a little bit nudgy how have you got on with it on the sim yeah it was okay um it was funny me and harry were going around in a I think we were, we were this is Harrison Newey, racing. yeah? Yeah, exactly. Um, we were playing around with it and I racing in a, in a P1 car just to, just to sort of have a bit of friendly competition. I say friendly, but any racing driver will know after, after a few laps, you do, you do start to try and find those tents <laughs> here and there. <laughs> <laughs> you, always, you always go around the corner and just, just mutter that yeah, that that's still legal as, as you run four, four car lengths off the track. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it does look interesting. It looks like a very, very diverse track because yeah. um, you've got the flowing sector in sector one, like you said, a very, very, very long straight down the back straight and then a really sort of, yeah, exactly, like a niggly sort of, and looks like a very annoying third sector, mm. which, um, which I think would be really interesting because... I like I like tracks where you have that sort of ability to take two or three different lines because I mean yes. when you come to racing and traffic and racing other prototypes through traffic, it becomes a really good dynamic because you can sort of see what's going to happen in three or four corners time and try and set something up. And I think that just just adds a really great dynamic to endurance racing. That that long triple apex, I think it's sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Yeah, the, um, double eight the left. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's um that's that long. Uh, you go under the bridge, so you come out with a little hairpin, you go on the bridge, 16, 17, 18, that long right-hander. Oh, no, uh, right-hander, yeah. Yeah, uh, that one, uh, preserving your left front tyre there, really, really important, and there are a few lines there. It'll be interesting to see what happens when they take some of the bumps out, because the bumps really compromised uh, various parts of the circuit, and um, 
meant that you, you actually ran what looked like really weird lines. But one of my favourite corners is an individual corner there. It's actually 19, which is the second to last corner, where you can do track limits on the outside, but you will get pinged for it. But when you get that right and you charge down the hill to 20, it's a fabulous feeling having just come out of that long triple apex right-hander and you set the car up and you commit the car to 19 and it's just over the top of a brow and the camber goes wrong just about at the apex and it's magnificent when you get it. I think I might have got it right once or twice but in a GT car you can hook the inside curve, the sausage curve. So once I found out I could do that, that I made it much, much, much easier. But as you say, lots of different challenges there which I'm presuming you're looking forward to. Yeah, I am actually. It's one of those funny ones where you, you've got a little bit of like that sort of voice in the back of your head saying, will I be quick? Will I like it? But at the same time, I'm always enjoying driving new tracks. And mm. Any track seems very different now. I'm in the Orica because it's a very different balance to what I've been used to in the Ligier. Mm. But at the same time, when, I, when I've driven this track on a sim and seen it on onboards, it does look really, really interesting because you have all sort of blind corners that lead into one another, like you said, 17, 18. But even like uh, 14, 15, 16, that, that sort of like, it's like a triple apex. It is. That le- leads into a very tight hairpin. It's just like, well, I can see how the different dynamics will play out there. If you're following a car, you just probably enter a bit more wide and try and get a cut back on the exit. And the, all these different scenarios play through your mind and it kind of gets me excited. And then I realize I've got another month to wait before the race and things like that. So now we're getting close to the race. I think it's only 10 days. Um, yeah, I'm getting really itchy, <laughs> getting really, really excited to start racing. And I'll tell you now that Austin's a fabulous town. So I, I know that you've got lots of racing to do, but if you have got the chance to to get out in Austin uh, and see some of the uh, some of the local colour, shall we say? Because there's plenty of good uh, music venues and restaurants and stuff like that. Phil, we wish you the best. I've I've just added up. From last year's Le Mans to the four hours of Portimao in Portugal, I think you'll have done 17 weekends if you add the prologue into that. That doesn't include, of course, what you did before Le Mans last year. So in 18 months, you'll have, you'll have done somewhere near, as you said, 20 race weekends, which is quite extraordinary. Um, clear, clearly that only a young man, it is still a young man's game if you're going to do, do all of that. Wish you the best, young sir. Uh, and thanks for coming to talk to us, and, and do come and speak to us again. Yeah, thanks a lot. Cheers, John. Phil Hanson, this week's big interview on Midweek Motorsports, uh, Series 15, Episode 7, and uh, Phil talking to John Hindhoff there live last week. Uh, moving on now to some it. of the weekend's uh, motorsport just gone, because we've okay. got a lot to get through, uh, and we're going to start with a race that... Uh, had some issues with the weather, Shay Adam. We're talking about the Daytona 500, uh, which eventually took place on Monday afternoon. You mean the 20, 24 hours of Daytona 500, as Carol Brink called it at one point. Yeah, the race went uh, through the opening ceremonies. They were good to go, all fully prepped and ready. They left the pit lane. They started doing about 500, 500 pace laps because they honor Jimmy Johnson. They had to... It really took forever. The, the, by the time they were supposed to throw the green flag, it was already 12 minutes behind the set, set schedule. So that gives you an indication. And I said, supposed to throw the green flag because then it started raining and it never stopped raining. So they decided fairly early on to abort the attempt to run the 
to reschedule it for 4 p.m. on Monday, which a lot of people were asking why 4 p.m. Well, broadcast window, the race was being being aired on Big Fox in the U.S. So at 4 p.m. on Monday, they did actually get things going. And it turned out to be a pretty interesting race. We talked about it, the issue between the teammates, the Penske teammates uh, during was it the duels or the clash? The clash? I can't even remember now. Clash. Where Kevin Logano got together at one point. There was um, some awkwardness there. And they professed that they worked it out. They saw each other at Disney. It was all good. And then there was an incident during the race where, um, Tim, it got awkward again. And Logano gave a bump to a car in front of him who gave a bump to Keselowski who was running in second or third, turned him around and, and wrecked. It caused the big one. It wrecked about half the field. Um, so again, Penske teammates, first race of the season, getting into one another, a little bit awkward. Uh, but the big story came to the finish of the race. Yes, NASCAR showing no, was, uh, no signs of uh, having dull finishes because the car that was leading going into the final corner uh, ended up uh, crossing the line fourth. On its roof and on fire. Yes, and it was a very scary incident. Um, to be honest, the best way to describe the uh, the incident is to listen to Ryan Blaney's post-race interview. The tone completely sets what everyone was feeling at the moment because he really did feel petrified. Everyone was worried about the, the health and well-being of Ryan Newman, who ultimately... Blaney tried to give him a push to help get a Ford to win the race because Blaney himself drives a Ford. He realized that he wasn't going to be able to get around Ryan, so he decided to try and help him get the win. And ultimately, it was a push at the wrong angle, the bumpers just meeting up at the wrong time that resulted in Ryan Newman being pitched into the wall to driver's right, eventually making contact and flipping over. He got to a point where his roof was facing oncoming traffic, where Coyle and Joy ran into him, and that caused more of a spectacular uh, result. The car wound up upside down, gas coming out of the car, a very scary couple of moments where the safety team hadn't quite gotten to him yet. And there was a lot of concern about his being able to get out of the car because he was pinned in on the driver's side. His window was the side that was facing down. So that was very scary. R- happy to report, though, Ryan Newman was from the hospital today. He walked out with his two little girls holding each hand. So it was a, a beautiful sight to see and testament to the safety of the nascar the next generation car and also but i should say share the the safety team and how much time they took to get him out and how they did such a a great job i know there was uh, all kinds of criticism of the ultimate ultimately the winner because they still were uh, celebrating the team and the driver but really um it just as we're about to hear from uh, Denny Hamlin because we haven't actually mentioned that Denny Hamlin uh, yeah, I won was his getting third to that. Daytona 500. I, I was getting to that. I uh, thought that was a bit unfair because it was so sh- short after 
the the incident that there's no way that could have been communicated. To. Let, let's hear from the winner anyway. Yeah, because uh, uh, as you'll hear, uh, the first he heard about uh, the uh, Ryan Newman incident uh, was when he was interviewed uh, post-race exactly. uh, by Jamie Little. Not finding out anything about uh, you know the Sixers wreck until uh, essentially you know, Jamie uh, told us you know no start finish uh, interview um, and so I, I knew it was bad I knew you know him crossing the track there was a bad scenario in the first place but uh, yeah it just um, it's a it's a weird balance of you know excitement and happiness for yourself but obviously uh, someone's health and their family's you know bigger than any win in any any sport so. Um, you know, we're, we're just hoping for the best. I don't know. I need time to process it. I mean, I, I was saying actually at lunch today, I'm like, I just, I don't feel good about today. Just not because of my car or the speed, just, you know, we have, we've managed to get to the finish of these races for a lot of years in a row. And it's like, how have we just kept avoiding the inevitable, which is the wrecks. And so, um, you know, really, we, we had a great strategy there at the end of stage one to put us up front um, at the beginning of the stage two. And I was able to kind of maintain a good track position at that point um, and, and obviously got shuffled, but uh, it worked out. But, you know, when I think about the names and, and Chris is always quick to remind me of what a win would do here. You know, where does it put you and, and the names that it puts you with? Uh, I I consider those, you know, <laughs> professors of of racing like this and and i'm just a guy that's you know a student and uh it's it's been great to to be on the run that we've been on the last five years at this racetrack well more than five it's been you know eight years or so that we've been you know fantastic here uh but i I don't know i just can't fathom you know being that it's harder to win today than ever because all the cars are so close together and and with the attrition uh the wrecks it's harder to win now than ever uh, very considered thoughts for from Denny Hamlin there, Shear, and I, I thought that criticism of him and the team was uh, was was unfair. I really did. Um, Tim mentioned car upside down and on fire as it went across. Um, I watched the truck race as well. There was fire there as well from minimal contact. All right, on a car, on a truck that had already been damaged. What? Um, I haven't seen as much fire in stock car races as I have already this season because there was a couple of nasty bluffs as well in the early running. What's going on here? Um, that's a good question, and that's something that NASCAR will address. Yeah, you're, you're right. When Tyman Jeske's truck flipped in the, the truck race on Friday night, that too was a very scary, and yeah. scary incident. That gets completely overlooked because of the fact that Ryan Newman was just released from a hospital and we were all concerned about him. Up until then, but you're right, and that's something that Daytona for sure is already investigating mm. this to be the safest form of motor racing, and that, and that's sort of something that they've based their hat on for the last 19 years. It's been 19 years since we lost Dale Senior, yeah. Um, so they've been very aware, very vocal, and before anything was even said about Ryan Newman's condition, they had already announced that they were going to be investigating this accident into how they can make their cars even safer from something like this happening again. Yeah, and and the car stood up pretty well. Shea, stay with us. Uh, Another race that was rain-delayed was the Asian Le Mans series. Now, they did manage to get the full 
uh, race off last weekend uh, in the double header that ends off their season. Earlier on this morning, when I was still in France, by the way, I spoke to Cyril Tashville and the man at the uh, top of the Asian Le Mans series. And, well, what a challenge it was to get that race going, a challenge that clearly was uh, accepted by Cyril and his team. Hello, John. Good morning. Yes, thank you for the kind words. Uh, it's been actually another challenge, yes, as you said. Um, me as well, I can only tell you that um, I'm grateful to have such a great team from, you know, TV production, race control and the Asian more staff because everybody stayed just calm. We managed and we had four race. So at the end of the day, this is what is the most important and everybody was safe, especially. Yeah, and that's very, very important because the the pictures that I saw of lightning strikes at and around the circuit uh, look very scary indeed. But we can confirm, despite what certain things was being said, that that nobody was 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 injured by that. No, fortunately not. Lightning strike hit a camera for three times. The third time, uh, most of the TV equipment have been fried, and two of the cameramen have been. Um, transported to the medical center and then discharged. They were A-OK'd, so uh, everything ended well and we could uh, restart the um, race start procedure after CCTV resumed the race control and we, we, were, we were back with full line timing. Uh, the only thing which we missed at the end of the day was uh, the full live track feed because, uh, as I told you previously, most of the TV equipment had been fried. But um, they did a hell of a great, great job. Uh, another miracle mm-hmm. job from um, EPMTV and Greg Eaton. Um, so it's been um, frustrating somehow when it comes to the uh, live track feed because with the, you know, the uh, the, the light uh, at Sepang International Circuit now, as you may have seen during FP2, uh, it would have come out um, fantastically. But uh, it is what it is. You know, another challenge this season, I would say, and. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's absolutely true. And the main thing is, in terms of the championship, you've got a full race with full points, and that sets up the finale this weekend uh, fantastically. Um, We have to remind ourselves, this is the last race of of your season that comes up this weekend. Uh, And particularly in GT, I think six different teams in with a chance still of the championship. Yes, correct. Very close competition. And it's, this is uh, very important. You know, the season is very short. And to have um, three out of the four titles still in contention for the last one is always very good. Um, it's going to be um, championship decider and a Le Mans invite decider. So lots of expectation. It should be very animated, very, very interesting race. Um, so it's um, my only advice is to to tell you that everybody must stay tuned, you know, and watch the qualifying and then um, and, and the race, which uh, will be, again, live stream for free all over the world. Uh, we start at 11.45 um, Thailand time, so it'll be 4.45 London time. How, as you get ready for yeah. this weekend's uh, event, how do you, how do you assess the season 
uh, so far that's brought us to to this point? Do you you must look back, Cyril, with you and the team. You must look back with pride. It's been a cracking year. Cracking, yes. Uh, a lot of unexpected challenges, as you know. Uh, container delays in Shanghai, and then uh, the, the bushfires uh, in Australia, and uh, the coronavirus situation. So, you know, you, you have to have a, a deal, uh, a team, sorry, which is prepared to deal with all these unforeseen situations. Um, the, the huge and monsoonal storm in Sepang. Uh, the fact that we really well manage the back-to-back events, because yes, as you mentioned, um, it's uh, back-to-back events. And for the first time, we did trekking in Asian Mall Series from uh, Malaysia to Thailand. Container, mm. Containers left Sepang International Circuit on Sunday, and they have been delivered yesterday during Buriram. So that's another new experience, which is very, uh, very interesting for us. When it comes to the season, yes, uh, as I told you, it's... It's short. Time flies. But yes, it's been, um, apart from the unexpected challenges I just mentioned, it's uh, probably the best ever season, uh, quality-wise, quantity-wise, and in terms of the growth, again, uh, of the TV exposure and the um, social media interaction we have managed to achieve this year. So yes, again, I think, and we discussed this last time, we talked about um next year next season calendar when we after we announced that we were racing in suzuka it's um definitely another step for the series so i just can't wait for the Buram event to finish so we know exactly <laughs> who's going to to get the lemo invite and then just concentrate flat out uh working on um, the next uh, next season when might we see the the calendar for next year? You've always been very good with us, letting us know when uh, when the timescale is going to be. It's already a long way off, and I know you'll tell me, well, come on, let's get this season finished uh, first. But it's very important, and it's been a, a cornerstone for the growth of the Asian Le Mans series that, that you guys have been able to communicate what's going on in the future Early. Um, can you? I don't expect you to give us any secrets, Cyril. But can you give us an idea when we might see that calendar coming out? Um, yeah, of course. I'm not in a position to to, to tell you anything um, today. We are aiming at announcing next season calendar ASAP to make sure that every right. every team's involved and they are more numerous every year can start planning. Um, the only thing I can tell you this is that I can confirm that we will start uh, the 2020-21 season in Suzuka on November 29th this year. And um, we'll try to make sure that we finish uh, the season earlier, if possible, to better mm-hmm. accommodate um, Asian teams and European teams. Um, but, um, you know, it's it's getting more complicated every year because that narrow window we had and we were almost the only one to 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 use and to enjoy is getting busier and busier and yes um, we can't clash with the major uh, international sporting and racing events in the region so it's 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 very important to make sure that we uh, have a go with the calendar which will be the, the best possible calendar and of course, uh, not clashing with uh, with anyone. So a little bit of fine tuning still, and then uh, we'll be ready to go. And let's come back to this weekend. We have to congratulate 
uh, one winner and one uh, invitation uh, winner, uh, Rick Ware Racing, uh, with the 52 car in the LMP2 Am Championship. Cody Ware, if he starts the final round at Buriram this weekend, will uh, will also be the Drivers' Championship. Uh, as far as LMP2, the Oris Gibson from G Drive, racing by Algarve. Uh, yeah, they are leading are... by nine points. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that's a that's a that's a an interesting number because that's comfortable but not safe. And um, uh, the tactics for what the, those guys are, I know those guys. I think they'll probably go out and try and and win the race and take the championship in style. Um, but there's still a couple of cars that can couple of teams that can catch them. Um, and also, as we said, the GT battle is just extraordinary at the moment for all those challenges Cyril that you mentioned there from the logistics side of of things the racing itself and that ultimately is what the fans will judge the Asian Le Mans series on uh, wherever they are in the world the racing this year has been outstanding and coming to the final round this weekend with so much still to play for I mean that that must you must be very happy with that situation yeah, because that's the more important. Back to square one. Let's talk about racing. You know, that's that's the most important ultimately. So having uh, three 2017 spec cars um, still in contention out of, out of seven at the last round to win the, the championship is something which is great. Um, Eurasia with a 36 car, 55 points. Thunderhead Carlin Racing, 56 points. G Drive Algarve, uh, G Drive Racing, sorry, but Algarve Pro Racing Team, 65. Anything can happen. Everything is up in the air in P3 as well. 59 for Interior Paul, 56 for Nielsen, 40 for Graf, mm-hmm. 37 for TMA C1 Villoba Crossy. GT is absolutely amazing. JLO 49, Cargai 46, Oboto 46, Spirit of Race 42, D Station 33, T2 Motorsport 30. Anything can happen still. So it's going to be fierce. It's going to be very interesting, you know. Um, and that's, you know, I think that even if we don't have the same numbers as some of the series. Um, having had 26 or 27 full season entrants in this year, Asian Le Mans, uh, doesn't mean that it wasn't uh, world-class racing. We have a, a world-class organization team and we have a world-class TV production team and we have a world-class field. And that's the most important because uh, I think that more and more people are following the series uh, all around the world. And uh, the, more and more teams are really have, uh, having a look, have a look at the uh, at Asian Le Mans, yeah. And, and I have to say, by the way, for those of you who don't follow closely that GT battle that we talked about, those six teams, that's the whole GT field. So everybody who's racing this weekend has still got a chance of uh, of the championship. It's been a topsy turvy yes. season with uh, six different teams uh, on the podium. Across the year, nobody has had an advantage. Uh, real testament to the depth of competition. I've got to ask you this, Cyril, uh, and we'll, I know how busy you are, so we'll we'll wrap up in a more. Um, what's the weather going to be like this weekend, or do we not even dare to think about that at the moment? Fantastic weather. It's dry. It's thirty degrees. Clear blue sky. Weather forecasts are okay. So I mean. Yeah, so far so good, you know, but you never know. We, we didn't expect what happened in Sepang anyway. It At least you know how... The blue, it's, it's, these huge clouds just formated so quickly, even at the airport, they didn't see it coming really. So it's been, we have been struck like, but we managed. So that's the most important, you know, the, um, the result is important.
the racing didn't suffer and nobody was hurt no, and you've provided exactly. us with a brilliant brilliant fan finale set up to the finale this season Cyril always a joy to talk to you good luck to you and the team this weekend and Thank a well-deserved maybe couple of weeks rest after this weekend <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> I don't think so good I luck my friend so. Thank it's you. going to be shorter than that Thank you for having me, John. Cyril Teshvalen, the uh, man behind the Asian Le Mans series, talking to us uh, earlier this morning. Uh, Back to America next, I think. Uh, Just a quick reminder that you can follow that, obviously, online at the weekend. It's a busy weekend because we've got FIA WEC quarter this weekend. Not where we expected it to be, Sheer Adam, um, because obviously it was meant to be uh, in Brazil and Jeanette not turning up means we've got an extra American team this weekend. We do, and that comes in the form of Corvette Racing, and it's a little bit surprising as to the drivers that they've chosen to bring because it's two guys who have not seen the C8R before. Mm. So the new car, which, by the way, is the big story. The new car is running two WEC races before Le Mans. Yes. So that means potentially new car comes to Lamar, which is really, really cool and exciting. We also have Dragon Speed coming in this weekend and Colin Brown making his WEC debut. Yeah. You would have lost money on that, huh, John? I oh, yes. Sure. I-, I couldn't believe it when I saw that Colin hadn't been in the WEC before. Right, but they're not running in. They're running LMP2. They're running in Anorica, uh, the same car that won the Daytona 24 Hour, I believe. So that's mm. going to be an exciting addition to the field too. Um, also of note, Project One with their uh, one Porsche is going to have the wins liver. That's the one driven by Ben Keating, Jerome Blake Mullen, and Felipe Fraga. And by the way, guys, if you don't know Ben Keating's history at Coda, he's going to win. That's what he does at that yeah, track. He does. In the the other car, though, there was uh, an announcement earlier today that came out uh, partly by David Hennemeyer Hansen himself. And it, I'm not going to repeat his comments. If you want to look them up, you can. It's on Twitter. But he is stepping out of the other Project One car. Egidio Perfetti is still going to be driving, but he's got uh, Adrian DeLear and Thomas Prining, I want to say, joining him in that car. So that's a lineup change for GTM as far as that's concerned. Uh, and they will find a distinctively different quarter circuit because some resurfacing's been done. I know IndyCar didn't get a lot of running on it, but the reaction was was pretty good, I think. The reaction was very good. The speeds were there, uh, which was very interesting because when they did get running and when the track did dry out, they were within a second of the pole time or a second and a half there or thereabouts. So the times did come down. It was a lot less bumpy for the Indy cars than it was a year ago. That bodes well. Mm. But the the big thing is, you mentioned it, John, when they did get running an Indy car, because the temperatures are so drastically different when you run in September to when you run in February, that's a big difference maker. So WEC is going to find out that perhaps there isn't heat in the track and some of the cars are having difficulty actually staying on it because this weekend is supposed to be a chilly one in the Midwest and before we move away from uh, by who who would have expected it in uh, in February end of February to be chilly in the Midwest, uh, Tim. Before we move yeah, away right. from IndyCar, chilly anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm I, here. I, I want to talk about uh, the second most famous person to come from Toowoomba. 
Uh, that I don't know. Oh, come on. Will Power would be number one. Will Power would not be number one. Will Power has not won two Golden Globes, three BAFTAs, four Screen Actors Guild Awards, and the triple crown of Oscar, Tony, and Emmy. Uh, Russell Crowe? Jeffrey Rush. Jeff Rush, yeah. Oh, man, yeah, sorry, sorry. I'll show myself out now. You see? Yes, because he's such a good actor. That's why. This is uh, acting. Yeah. Will, Will Power is definitely a good actor because he keeps a straight face when he says he can do 400 press-ups in a row. Yeah, yes. not a chance. Yes. And it's so funny because he is thoroughly convinced that picking a number at random when Joseph Newgarden uh, challenged him, how many push-ups can you do in a row? And Will goes, oh, you know, in one session, yeah, probably 400. And Joseph goes, there's no way you can do 400 push-ups. I, I will pay you to do 400 push-ups in a row. Well, now it's turned not, into this not, thing where his not pens... Not just be- paying him. $10,000 yes. is on the line well, from Joseph Newgarden. And it's been doubled it's because been Simon Paginot yeah. thinks he can't do it either and has put up <laughs> another $10,000. They've got too yes. much time on their hands and too much money. We need to get the season started. <laughs> I'm calling out Joseph Newgarden, though. Colton Herta did last week because Joseph did a video where he was doing a series of push-ups and going down far enough to knock a Dasani bottle, water, water bottle with his chest. His form was abysmal. That, was that guy needs to do some P90X and come back to me. <laughs> and he only did 75 of them. But to be fair, he never claimed yeah. that he could do 400 push-ups. No. Correct. Whereas... Uh, uh, Will Power has said that his personal trainer has advised him not to do 400 consecutive press-ups as it would interfere with his fitness plan. <laughs> that's, a, that's very good. Oh. Shall we move on to some proper IndyCar news? But, that brought well, before we do, there's one more line on this, which oh, right, is that uh, the money remains on the table until the St. Pete's race weekend. So Will has one month, or just over one Can month. Can anybody do 400 push-ups? Well, the world record's way over that. But, I know that. Um, uh, yeah. But... Probably Will Power can't, and probably no one in the IndyCar paddock, uh, Ooh, or indeed any American paddock can. Know. If you look Ooh, at some of the no, other reactions, no. so social media, Paso Award, complete disbelief, Jao Barbosa laughing at the uh, thought of anyone doing 400 uh, push-ups in a row. Mm. Um, I mean, maybe... I was going to say Tony Will is Kanan. using this time. Oh, the shares just put exactly the same thing on our, <laughs> on, our, on our text chat. Maybe Will is using this time to practice so that at St. Pete's weekend he can right. do an attempt right. on stop video. This now. This, stop this now because we're wasting time and, and we've got to get to On The Grid, uh, our first episode of On The Grid with Creelsey and the team. Uh, this morning, Indianapolis uh, hinges back and for Three races, not the two we were expecting, with Andretti Honda. Correct. Three races. He's going to be driving car number 29 for the Indianapolis Grand Prix. That's the road course where they go the wrong way around the speedway. The 500, and then also with Andretti at the Texas Motor Speedway, a race that Hinch has won. They've said there's no chance that he'll get to do Toronto with them, which is very upsetting for Canadian fans. Mm. But we knew that Hinch had his sponsor, Genesis. We knew about that from a long way back. Who are now across know... the street from Andretti Racing in India, Indianapolis. And and I have to say, I do like the fact that Michael Andretti and the Andretti Racing Organization like to be involved with local sponsors in Indianapolis and, and Indiana. I know that that's a Hinch sponsor. But it almost seems like a match made in heaven, Shea, particularly for the 500, where Andretti know how to win. 
Correct. You look at a team that you want to run with, well, definitely Andretti Autosport, given the amount of wins that they have over the recent history. Genesis is a global tech business, but their U.S. base is in Indy across the street from Andretti. So it is a very good little made in heaven there. But yeah, Hinch will be back. It's great to see he has finally announced where he's landed. It's still super upsetting for Canadian fans that he's not in for a full season. But he said early on, you know, challenge accepted. And at least this is a step in the right direction. Uh, quick final piece of news from Sebring, where everybody in the world is testing. In the last two weeks, there have been 20 cars that have tested or will test at Sebring International Raceway. There is a maximum capacity of 10 cars on track for any private test at any time. They actually had a wait list, John, because there were people who wanted to run today and yesterday, yesterday, who couldn't get in. So they were able to run today only. There was a very late opening for Wright Motorsport to be uh, dropped onto the testing list. There's going to be an additional surge that happens in two weeks' time where there will be five or six more teams going down to test. But right now, social media, if you miss hearing IMSA cars running around, Go on Instagram, go listen to some of the videos. Trust me, you'll get your fill. I love the idea that we've got people effectively, to put it in entertainment terms, waiting for ticket returns or an open table just to, to pop up. Yep. And they're kind of just hanging around at, what, what, they're hanging around at the gates or the haulers are in the track? Or how does that work? <laughs> Well, here's a perfect example for you. Last week, there on February 11th and 12th and 13th, between that window, Corvette, Era, and BMW were all running. On the 13th, you got Aim Vassar Sullivan, PR1 Matheson, WRT Speedstar. Then this week, you had a little bit of a break for the weekend. Acura Team Penske, Wright, Porsche GT, Meyer Shank Racing, JDC Miller Motorsport, Whalen, Gear Racing, Riley, <laughs> and Faf at their uh, testing. Now, FAF is not testing at Sebring. They're doing stuff up in Canada. But you look at that list and you just think, okay, guys, what's the hurry? We're still a little bit out from the race. Well, there's a stipulation in the rules that you can't test within a two-week period oh, before yes. the race at that track. So everybody's trying to cram in. It's a bit like the exams coming up, John, and everyone's just realized it. And they've gone, oh, man, I have at all. Mm, very good. Uh, brilliant stuff tonight, Shea. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Tim Gray was our executive producer up in London. Nick Damon, our other contributor, along with Creelsey, live from breakfast at the Adelaide 500, which I really liked. And thanks to our other guests as well, who we had on tape, uh, which was, I say on tape, it's digital nowadays, but you know what I mean. Uh, Phil Hansen, and uh, also Cyril Teshvalen. Uh, it is the final of the Asian Le Mans series this weekend. You can find those guys on their YouTube. We have got uh, Johnny Palmer and Bruce Jones for the race. And you've got my company just before midnight on Saturday evening for qualifying from Cota for the FIA WEC. There's an awful lot going on this weekend, including the start of the Virgin Australia Supercars. And if you want to know all about the season coming up for that, stay tuned, because Krilzy and the team, right after this show, will be talking on our new Aussie motorsport show. It's on the grid. That comes right after midweek motorsport, which is all done for now. There's no time to explain, because the llama... Oh, the llama is talking to a kangaroo. 
This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.